Well, 2 John uh, is where I want us to turn. In fact, we'll look at a, a couple of verses at the close of 2 John as we close out this letter, as well as I want to look at the three final verses of 3 John, where John essentially says the same thing. But before we look at those, if you were to go all the way back to 1909, long, long time ago, but there was a science fiction short story that was written by a guy named E.M. Forster. And the title of this short story was called The Machine Stops. But basically, the story describes the relationship between a mother and her son in this scenario where life on the surface of the earth has basically become um, uninhabitable. And what's left of humanity, they're living in isolation underground. And so all of the needs that are really required to sustain that disconnected existence is supplied by something known as the machine, which is really this strange, global, powerful device that was invented by humanity before a time that anyone could remember. And so the son hasn't seen his mother in a long time, but somehow they can talk with each other through the machine, which keeps the isolated population somewhat connected. But this machine is not enough for the son, who sends his mother a message, and she's on the other end of the planet, uh, where he wants her to come see him in person. And she responds, why is that important? He says, I want to see you, but not through the machine. Now, if you think about that, that was 1909, long before modern technology as we know it was invented. And yet, if you're familiar with science fiction genre, it's amazing how predictive so much of science fiction has been in years past of, of the technologies that you and I now take for granted, where we're literally linked with people on the other side of the planet, and through the use of a smartphone or a FaceTime app, uh, you can have a conversation with someone in a different country. If you've got a loved one who is separated from you by great distance, technology affords you some level of connection, and we're grateful for all of that. But the fact remains that we would be surprised when we would stop and begin to consider all of the machines that we've really come to be dependent upon in our own time. You think about the technology of your smartphone, and you think about the advent of social media and how all of this has really changed the way that we interact with other people. And again, there are a lot of advantages to that, and, and I'm grateful for those advantages and how technology can be a tool uh, to advance the mission of God in the world and to spread the gospel. Thank God for DoorDash, you know. Uh, great technology. Chick-fil-A delivers now. And so, I mean, what more could you want? But the fact of the matter is no machine or no technology can ever substitute for face-to-face -face friendship. And you say, okay, well, why are you saying all of that? Well, because I really believe this is the message that the Apostle John drives home in just the last couple of verses here in 2 John. And he makes the same point at the close of 3 John. So if you have your Bible, let's read 2 John, verse 12, verse 13, and then we'll look at 3 John, verses 13 through 15. Now John's closing out his letter, and he says uh, to believers, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. 
Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now notice what he says in 3 John, verse 13. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. And so he's saying the same thing here. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. I want to spend just a few moments this morning speaking from this subject, face-to-face Christianity. Now, you consider what John has already said in his letter about counterfeit Christianity, where he has warned believers of those uh, traveling teachers who were preaching a different kind of Jesus than uh, the Jesus that uh, apostolic testimony bears witness to, He's warned us against that, but here I believe that he places an emphasis on authentic, face-to-face Christianity that understands something about the relationships that we have with flesh and blood people whom God has placed in our lives. And so he's emphasized how in times like these we really need to hold fast to the truth. He says we need to hold fast to love. And now he's saying that we must hold fast to one another. Friendship in the gospel. This is one of the most important yet seldom emphasized subjects. And I think it's to our disadvantage that we don't talk about friendship any more than we do uh, in, in the church. There's a lot of discussion about community and how the Christian life is not a solo venture. But we often fail really to define the goal of Christian community as being the cultivation of close friendships with those fellow believers in our lives. Knowing Jesus Christ as the friend of sinners that he is, as well as walking with each other in true friendship, these are among the greatest joys that one would ever experience in life. There's nothing like it. Well, the world would be such a lonely place if it weren't for the people in it. And thank God that the Lord has placed people in your life Uh, in the 19th century, Bishop J.C. Ryle said that the world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin. He says it's a dark place, a lonely place, a disappointing place, and yet the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. He says that friendship divides our troubles in half while it multiplies by two our joys. Now think about that, boy, the, thank God that the, the sorrows oftentimes that we experience in life, the pain, the setbacks, uh, the discouraging circumstances that we experience, there's something about a friend in those times, we can rely upon the friends in our lives that sort of divides that sorrow in two. I think it gets at what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where, where we're to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Within the context of the family of faith, we've got a responsibility to help bear the burdens of those uh, in, in, in the family of faith. And then when we experience something that's joyful and wonderful, sharing that joy with a friend multiplies that joy exponentially in our lives. There's something about it when something good happens. Boy, we want to tell good news to people in our lives so that they can celebrate that with us. And all of that serves to increase our joy. So here you see John, he's he's closing out 
his letter with some personal greetings that he's writing to his friends. His tenderness comes through as he's expressing his desire to see the elect lady and her children face to face. And so that that expression, face to face, this suggests intimacy. And we all understand the importance of being face to face with another person. Uh, Oftentimes we use that expression to refer to some personal interaction that we have with other people. Uh, When your children, perhaps, if they're small or when your children were small, it was important when you were giving them instruction, you wanted them to, to look at you. You know, it's like eyeball to eyeball. You know, I want to make sure that you're getting the instructions that I'm, I'm, I'm passing along to you. I remember Andrew, when he was little, he would oftentimes, when he would want our attention, he'd reach up and grab my cheeks or, or his mom's cheeks and pull my face to his face to make sure that I was looking him in the eye when he was telling me something. There's something about face-to-face interaction with another person that, that brings us great joy. It's what I would call face-to-face Christianity. This is what the Apostle John is describing here. It's almost as if he's saying to these believers, I, I want to come to you. I've got so much to say, but I can't express it in a letter. I want to look you in the eyes. I want to see you eyeball-to-eyeball, face-to-face, so that we can have fellowship with each other. Now, I do believe there are some important lessons about face-to-face Christianity that we can glean from these verses. And so there are three of these lessons. Uh, Lesson number one, face-to-face Christianity understands the value of true friendships. John says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. The idea is he has so much that he has to say, but he realizes that the medium of paper and ink only goes so far. Real friendship is so much more than just words on a page. He wants to see his friends face to face. And he says the same thing uh, virtually there in, in verse 13 of 3 John. I had so much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. Now, I would imagine that if he were writing these words to us today, he might say something along these lines. I have so much to say to you, but I would rather not send it in a text message. I've got much that I want to say to you, but I would rather not send an email. I would much rather spend my time with you, the time that a healthy, productive relationship really requires. And that's what it means to understand the value of true friendship. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but there's only so much connectivity that technology really affords us. And I find it ironic that we're more connected than we've ever been before as a society, and yet we're making fewer connections with people. So connected, but there are fewer and fewer really deep connections that we have. It could be that perhaps we've traded in deep communion for digital communication which are two different things. Uh, Crew recently did a study on understanding today's college student in which there was a student who confessed that her generation, and I quote, doesn't really know how to have a real conversation anymore, end quote. Researchers have revealed that there's an epidemic of loneliness in our own time in which 61% of young people today report feeling seriously lonely. 
You listen to some of these findings uh, from a Cigna health study, and I don't want to bore you with statistics, but I think that this really helps drive home the point. 47% of Americans uh, report always feeling alone. 27% rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. 43% Uh, admit to feeling that their relationships are not meaningful and that they're isolated from other people. One in five people report that they rarely or never feel close to people or feel like there are people that they can really confide in. Only around half of Americans, some 53%, have daily meaningful in-person social interactions such as having an extended conversation with a friend or spending time with family. Generation Z, which is the generation that's now coming into adulthood, uh, ages 18 to 23, the research reveals that they're the loneliest generation of any generation that's preceded them. And that's interesting given the fact that they've literally grown up their entire lives with the internet and the social internet in particular. Uh, There's an author who's written about this. Her name is Jean Twinge. Uh, She's a professor at, at, at... a particular university, but she wrote an article for The Atlantic just a few years ago in which she interviewed a 13-year-old girl named Athena who told her that she spent most of her summer hanging out alone in her room with her phone. And here's what she said to the interviewer. That's just the way that my generation is. We didn't have a choice to know any life without iPads or iPhones, and I think we like our phones more than we like actual people. Now, I don't believe that that's just true of the youngest in our midst, but I do think that perhaps it's reflective of a phenomenon that's true of our times across generations, to where that we become so dependent upon digital technology that we may be closer to our phones than we actually are the flesh and blood people that God has placed in our lives. And so the technology that has been so very useful and so very helpful in so very many ways has also been intrusive, even detrimental to the relationships that we're we're to have with the people that God's placed in our lives. I read some research which claims that we now check our smartphones roughly 81,500 times a year or once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives which means that by the time that I finish this sermon, some of you will be tempted to check your phone eight times before I finish. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of advantages that we would say that technology has afforded our generation. We now can manage and track our calendars via digital technology. You can check the weather. You can navigate, you know, You don't have to worry about having the old Rand McNally road atlas in the back seat, you know, that was like 10 by 12 Uh, You can return emails easily and uh, take pictures and all of that. Stay connected with people via social media technology. There are apps for literally everything you could imagine and then some. And when all of this is kept in its proper balance, we could say that that's a very good thing. But just like anything else, it can become an idolatrous fixation in our lives. And whenever it's distracting us from the flesh and blood relationships that God has placed in our lives, then folks, you know that you're on dangerous ground. 
And so listen to John's words here. He says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink because I want to come and talk to you face to face. Here the apostle recognizes the value of real relationship and being face to face uh, with, with a fellow believer. Now I want to give you just three ways that technology can really undermine those face to face friendships that we're to cultivate and to have in our lives. Okay, now this is not always true across the board, but these are some potential dangers. And so uh, beware. Number one, uh, it can depersonalize our communication with one another. We can become so dependent upon digital technology that it really depersonalizes the way that we communicate with one another. Again, we use it to connect. That's a good thing. But studies have shown that over time, uh, the less connected we feel, if all of our connection comes via social media, then that actually works against us in terms of a deep abiding relationship with another person so that you feel less connected rather than more connected. So the irony is we start out by using it to move closer to someone, but when that sort of becomes a surrogate for face-to-face interaction with a person, we actually end up farther away from that person so that we trade conversations with another person for nothing more than status updates. And so again, we're connected with so many people, more so than ever before, but we may be making fewer connections than we ever really have. With that smartphone in your hand, uh, you're just one swipe or click away from the latest news, the latest gossip, anybody wanting to communicate with you at any time, and so that's even taken a toll out on relationships to where now people believe that they can intrude upon you any time of the day at any place, and there's something that we feel compelled to have to respond all of the time, even when we're with other people that demand our attention. How many of you have ever been in a restaurant and you've seen two people sitting across from each other at a table, not engaged in conversation with each other, but they're just sort of mindlessly scrolling through their social media feed or whatever? Maybe you've even been there. I think at times we all have. Where someone has to say, Earth to Brandon, you know, check in. Don't ignore those flesh and blood relationships that God's placed in your life, the very people who are there in front of you. And again, this research even reveals that there's sort of this, this, this um, addictive quality that has been proven to be true of overusage of, of smartphones and technology so much that it triggers the dopamine in our brains, the pleasure and reward center of the brain, so that when you reach for that phone, the brain has so associated that with pleasure and reward that it sends a shot of dopamine, which is the same word we get the word dope from, by the way, so that the same thing happens, it often happens in the mind of a drug addict. Could it be that we're so addicted to our technology that we just gotta have it? I can't imagine my life without it. God forbid that I would ever participate in a Radiate weekend as a teenager, which would require me to give up my smartphone. Or God forbid I would ever allow my child to be participating in student camp if it means that their phones have to be separated from them for an extended amount of time. Now, you just take that and use it however you want to. All right, so it can depersonalize our communication. Now, notice the second danger. Uh, It disengages us from communion with one another. If we're not careful, 
Over-reliance upon technology can really become a tool that fuels apathy in our hearts toward other people. It can take a toll out on those relationships we have with other people that God's placed in, in my life. I can become calloused, insensitive, indifferent toward another person. Just an illustration of this, uh, this week I was driving through a neighborhood and I, I noticed that there was a woman who was walking down the sidewalk and she had uh, her, her, I assumed was her little girl or, or niece that was on a tricycle out in front of her. And the little girl was just pedaling away on the tricycle, quickly approaching an intersection. And the adult in her life behind her was just walking behind her, scrolling through her phone. And I'm sitting there thinking, I hope and pray that this little girl doesn't just barrel out on into the intersection with mom totally oblivious as to what's going on. But that kind of thing happens all the time. You go down the interstate and you look over as someone's passing you on I-40 and they're going 85 miles an hour and their throat thumbing through their phone. I've even seen this trend where individuals just feel so compelled to record a video, but they do it as they're behind the wheel of their vehicle going down the road and they feel like what's so important they can't pull over and take 30 seconds or a minute to record the video, but they're gonna keep driving and so endanger the lives of other people. Listen. It ain't all about you. It's about others. And yet we can become so addicted to digital technology that we actually are disengaged from communion with real flesh and blood people in our lives. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And he said that the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so if we're not careful, we can become so absorbed with our devices that they become idols. And so two very important questions that we should ask ourselves is the first question, how does my use of technology help me love God more? Because again, I believe that it can be a productive tool to help us in, 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 in our pursuit of God. And then a second question, how does my use of technology help me love other people around me more? How can I be more aware of the needs of others? How can I serve others and, and, and technology be a helpful tool for me to be able to do that? Now, there's a third danger that I'll mention, and it's this. If we're not careful, overuse of technology can really disembody our conversation with one another. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, as human beings, we've been created. We're embodied beings. And there's an element of conversation that is to be embodied and full of dynamic interaction. That just simply means that when you're having embodied conversation with another person face to face, you're able to notice that person's tone and inflection, their moods, their facial expressions. I mean, how many of you have ever had somebody send you a tweet or send you an email and you automatically assumed that the tone and tenor of that tweet or email was hostile? which may not have been the intention of the person that sent it at all. And so then you make this assumption that this person must be mad, and then you respond in haste, and before you know it, you're, there's disembodied conversation that's happening between you and another person, and you're at odds, and you really don't have any needs to be at odds with, with each other. So we gotta be careful. <laughs> this is so practical, isn't it? I thought about this when my mom was learning to text. She may be watching this, by the way. And mom, I love you. But I remember when she was learning to text, and we were having a conversation, and, and 
uh, I would you know, say something, you know, maybe it was something that was serious and required prayer or that kind of thing. And my, my mom would send back LOL, <laughs> you know, and I thought, well, that's insensitive. But then I got to thinking, mom might not know what that means. And so she thought it meant lots of love. <laughs> but it means laughing out loud, evidently. So uh, that's what I mean when I refer to disembodied conversation. And you, you wonder why we're living at, in such an incivil time where people just seem to be at each other's throats. I wonder how much of this disembodied communication via social media is fueling so much of that incivility. It's easy to slander someone's digital avatar to where you find yourself saying something and acting a certain way on social media or via text or email that you would never say if that person were in front of you face to face. And so this then becomes an area where discipleship is so very much needed. Now again, come back to the text. John understands the benefit of technology, paper and ink in his day, but he says, I wanna come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. So face to face Christianity really understands the value of true friendship. John says this in 1 John chapter three. He says, little children, let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And this would most certainly include tweets and texts and status updates and that kind of thing. May online connectivity never become a surrogate or a substitute for face-to-face -face real connectivity with another person. And in our day, it's easy. We shop online. You know, we can interact with others online. Now it's even become popular among some to go to church online. And I'm grateful for the technology that's afforded. If you're traveling and you can participate online or if you're homebound and your health requires you to be disconnected from, from the body, that thank God for technology that allows you to be somewhat connected. But may that never be a surrogate for real life interaction with the family of faith. And for some folks, it's just become an excuse to stay removed from interaction and involvement in the local family of faith. Sunday morning is not simply content for you to consume, but it's a community for you to contribute to. Uh, when I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you got saved, God brought you into the family of faith, which means that all of us have some contribution that we can make to that community. So, Face-to-face -face Christianity understands the value of, of true friendship. Now, notice the second thing. Face-to-face -face Christianity experiences the joy of true friendship. John says, I've got so much to say to you. I don't want to do it by means of paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face. -face. Now, listen to this. He says, so that our joy may be complete. So there's this particular joy that you and I can experience with one another as those who are united in fellowship by the truth of the gospel. All of us long for deep and abiding joy. And the word that he uses here, the Greek word, it's an important word. It means gladness or cheerfulness, sense of delight. Uh, it's used some 59 times throughout the New Testament. So he's capturing this idea that friends bring great joy to our lives. This is something that John understands 
Uh, Paul writes something very similar in many of his letters. If you've ever paid attention to the close of Paul's letters, he often always mentions people by name who are associated with the churches that he's writing to. He says something to the Philippians about them completing his joy. Romans 16, he mentions more than 30 people by name as he's just listing the friends who bring great joy to his heart. And all of this is sort of reflective of the fact that as those who've been made in the image of God, we've been wired for relationships. It goes all the way back to God's design in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You think about it. In that perfect environment, everything's perfect. God says that it's good, but there's one thing that God sees that's not good. He says it's not good that the man be alone. It's not good that the man live his life in isolation. And so, God forms Eve and brings Eve to Adam and they live in covenant relationship with one another. Tim Keller says of this, he says, God made us in such a way that we couldn't even enjoy paradise without friends. Adam had a perfect quiet time every day for 24 hours a day and yet he too needed friends. And some people who are more introverted, they think, man, it'd be wonderful if I had nothing but quiet time all of the time. Well, you know what? That's good for about a day. But again, if it weren't for people, if it weren't for relationships, if it weren't for flesh and blood people that God's placed in your life, the world would be a very lonely place. And so you read through the Bible and literally everywhere you turn, you see some type of emphasis that's being placed upon relationships, some type of emphasis that's being placed upon friendship. Uh, you've got the story of Naomi and Ruth or David and Jonathan, Paul and Barnabas or Silas, and later the mentoring relationship that Paul has with Timothy. I love what Paul says at the close of 2 Timothy. You really see a glimpse into the Apostle Paul's heart and what may be very well the last words that he ever wrote as he's imprisoned there in Rome. He says to Timothy, do your best to come before winter. The idea that a man as strong and mighty and spiritually mature as the Apostle Paul still wanted people in his life. Timothy, do your best to come before winter because he knew that when the wintertime comes, isolation is often exacerbated and increased. And so, Timothy, do your best to come to me as my friend. Come before winter. Friends bring joy to our lives. I know oftentimes we talk about happiness more than we do so of joy. And I'm not sure that we can really make that much of a distinction but the fact is, a lot of times we think that happiness is more dependent upon circumstances, happenstance. If the circumstances of my life are not as such, then I can't truly be happy. And yet we know the New Testament says that joy is supernatural fruit that's produced in my life and your life as a believer by the Spirit of God. And let me tell you what that means. It means when you became a Christian, when God saved you, he let you in on his joy. Do <laughs> you know that God has existed in perfect, perfect joy and love from eternity past? Don't be under this misconception that God created humanity out of a sense of loneliness. That for all of eternity, God existed in loneliness, and so he had to create humanity so that he would not be alone. No, let me tell you something. The triune God who has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has existed in perfect relationship within himself, perfectly content within himself, full of love, full of joy. And so when you become a Christian, 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he's letting you in on his joy. And he's producing that joy in you so that the church now is the community of faith that should reflect the joy of heaven. And it's a relational joy. It's a joy that transcends the circumstances and the happenings of my life so that you can be walking through the deepest, darkest valley of life and yet you can still be full of the joy of the Lord. That's your inheritance in Jesus. And yet sometimes I think that we turn to social media as sort of a surrogate or a substitute for that kind of joy, so much so that some folks, every time they open their social media feed or they go to the internet, they're searching for a little bit of happiness. And happiness is only one click away, one conversation away, one purchase away, one image away for me to lust after. And listen, it's happiness that perhaps you're searching for, but you're gonna be like a dog chasing its own tail if that's what you think, where you think happiness comes from. Because it will only leave you feeling empty and unsatisfied. And the scripture never tells us to pursue happiness. Instead, it tells us to pursue God. And when you pursue God, guess what you get along with that pursuit? You get the joy of the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. That's the kind of joy that the Apostle John is describing here. And so face-to-face Christianity, man, thank God that it experiences the real joy of friendship. And that's a sacrificial, selfless kind of thing. I'm reminded of a skit from Sesame Street where the cookie monster, he's standing beside his friend in in a cookie jar that's on the counter. And he turns the jar upside down and there's one chocolate chip cookie that falls out on the counter. And so the cookie monster, he reaches for it and he raises it toward his mouth, but he stops and he glances down at his friend's longing eyes. And then he pauses and and sings a song, Sometimes Me Think, What Is Friend? He then explores that question by, by way of song, and he comes to his answer at the end of that song, Maybe friend is somebody you give up last cookie for. And that's what he does. And then he says, Somehow me feel strangely okay about this. Listen, that's what friendship understands. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It's it's, it's fueled by agape love that's looking out for the interest of others. The same kind of attitude that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 2. The very mindset which was Christ's, which he says is now ours. He says, don't be fueled by selfish interest, but every man, look out for the interest of those that God's placed in your life. The flesh and blood relationships that God's placed in your life. Chris Martin, who's written about this, he says the paradox of Christian friendship is that our best friends, they wound us when we need wounding and they bind up those wounds when they need binding up. It's a grave misunderstanding to think that our best friends are the ones who make us the most comfortable, who ignore our shortcomings and never spur us on to becoming more like Christ. Friends are not therapeutic drugs we use to feel better about ourselves. No, friends are brothers and sisters in Christ who have permission to call us out when we're not reflecting our Savior. But they pick us up and they dust us off when we've fallen in our lifelong walk of faithfulness to him. That's what gospel friendship understands. You got any of those people in your life who are free to ask you the hard questions? 
who are free to, and perhaps someone's given you that same measure of freedom. That's what makes for strong relationships. It's a strong relational glue that ought to hold the body of Christ together in gospel fellowship. It's what the church is. Not just a bunch of independent people who are loosely affiliated. No, we're the body of Christ here at Green Street that God supernaturally has brought together and it's the gospel tie that binds us together in close fellowship and relationship with each other. Church ought to be a place where you can come and find friends, real friends, not just Facebook friends, but I'm talking about real flesh and blood people in your life. So face-to-face Christianity It understands the value of true friendship. It experiences the joy of true friendship. One last thing that I'll mention, and I'm through. John says that it identifies the goal of true friendship. He says, I've got so much to write to you. I'd rather not use paper and ink. I want to come talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And notice that word complete that he uses there. Translates a Greek word that means fullness. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians 5.18 where we're told to be filled with the Spirit so that there's this idea of maturity. There's this idea of completed joy, fullness of joy. This is the goal of real gospel friendship. John Stott says that the New Testament knows nothing of perfect joy outside the fellowship that we have with one another through fellowship with the Father and the Son. Which means that as long as you're disconnected from others in the family of faith, your joy in some sense will be incomplete. It's like coals in a campfire. If you ever get a coal of a fire that just sort of becomes separated and disconnected from the rest of those coals in that campfire, you'll watch and that coal will slowly, slowly, slowly dim and get colder and colder. That's oftentimes what happens in my life relationally when I become disconnected from my brothers and sisters in the faith. But you see, when we're, when we're in close relationship with each other, in pursuit of real friendship in the gospel, we're to have this stimulating effect on one another where you are to provoke me to love and good deeds and I'm to provoke you to love and good deeds and we have a deep and abiding relationship that's centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's to be something that is to keep me spiritually hot. I need the body of Christ. And it's not by coincidence that just a few years ago, the enemy tried to do absolutely everything he could within his power to try to squelch that kind of fellowship in our day. He's always trying to do that. He's always trying to distract us from that kind of fellowship, to divide us in our relationships with one another. Satan wants to to rob you of experiencing real joy because he's a thief. Was a liar and a killer. The greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Dr. Kathy Cook is an accomplished author and speaker, and she's been featured on Focus on the Family uh, multiple times, but she wrote a really good book just a few years ago entitled Screens and Teens, Connecting with Our Kids in a Wireless World. But she often tells parents to set aside one day throughout the week as well as one day on the weekend that are totally screen-free. And that's perhaps a good suggestion. Maybe you want to implement that if you've got small kids in your home, and I would just encourage you to do that. But she tells a story in her book that I thought was just so fascinating. 
She says about two weeks after recommending parents involve children in choosing one weekday uh, and one weekend day to be screen free. She says a 10 year old boy walked up to me and directly asked, are you the lady? And I asked him to elaborate. And he asked me, are you the lady who told my parents we should turn everything off? (laughs) Not sure how he would respond. She says, I think I stepped back a bit before answering. Yes, I'm Dr. Kathy. But then I noticed that his parents were standing against the wall behind him. And while confidently maintaining eye contact with me, he responded, thank you. I got my daddy back. And that was not something that she was anticipating to hear, but really it's a powerful testimony to what it means to live face-to-face with someone else. Now, some of you haven't been face-to-face with another, perhaps, in a very long time. And yet, each of us, at some point, we're gonna come into our final week, our final days, our final hours, And some of us will know when we do, if perhaps we've received some type of diagnosis that says we don't have long to live. And if so, we're going to take a thoughtful glance backwards. And you know something? When we come to that week, when we come to those days, when we come to those hours, we won't worry about whether or not we put in more hours at work. Uh, We won't wish that we took more exotic vacations. No, I'll tell you something. We won't, we won't wish that we spent more time in front of our screens. No, we will all wish that we spent more time face-to-face with friends and family and people that we love. So don't let the time slip through your fingers while you spend your days just slowly scrolling through social media, looking for a little bit of happiness, why don't you open up your eyes and see what it is that God has placed right there before you in terms of the flesh and blood people, those fellow image bearers that he's placed in your life. And then look for ways that you can sacrificially serve them and encourage them and build them up. And you know what will be a byproduct of that in your own heart and life? It'll be the joy the joy that perhaps many of you feel like you've been missing for a long time. Let's stand for prayer this morning. Well, there's a lot here. In fact, this could probably be an entirely separate series on friendships. Aren't you grateful for face-to-face Christianity? Thank God for face-to-face interaction. We've been created for it. Listen, our Savior is the friend of sinners. And if you don't know him in a personal way, listen to me, he wants to know you personally, intimately, face to face. For God so loved the world that he didn't send simply a friend request. He didn't send a text message or an email, even a letter. No, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that God became one of us, that he might spend time with us, walk among us face-to-face, side-by-side, hand-in-hand. And as the friend of sinners, he's able to identify with you in whatever loneliness or pain or hurt or sadness that you feel even now in your own heart and life. 
and you think about your sins and your failures and your relational shortcomings, you know Jesus bled and died for that and wants to forgive you and fill up the void in your own soul. And so if you don't know him this morning, listen, repent and believe the gospel message and say, Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Savior. I believe that you died for me on the cross and that you rose again from the dead. Be my Lord and Master. And the time is coming when Jesus is going to return and we're going to see him face to face. And oh, what a day that's going to be. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, what would seem to be just an obscure little passage of scripture, just a couple of verses that we may be quick to pass over. Lord, what a reminder this is for me of the value of friendships and people in my life. God, keep us from being so distracted in our day that we squander the time and the relationships that we're to have with people through mindlessly scrolling on a screen. And help us to turn some things off, Lord, so that we can really be tuned in to what matters most, and that's the people that you've placed in our lives. Lord, some of us today, maybe an application is we need to go face-to-face with another person and say, I'm sorry, so that a relationship can be restored. For others of us, it may be that we need to spend some time face-to-face with another person and say, I love you, so that we can communicate verbally affirmation that perhaps our children so desperately need to hear from their parents and that parents need to hear from their children. God, keep us from being distracted and divided in this day in which we live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.